really pumped to be here. Uh, really excited to be here with you guys in this season and uh, really grateful for the warm welcome I've gotten, in, gotten into Pilgrim so far. When I speak or teach or preach or whatever you want to call what happens on stage on a Sunday morning, I have one goal every time, no matter what the week, no matter what the topic, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what, an unchanging and really simple and really almost like Sunday school-y feeling goal. And that goal is to urge or motivate, maybe hopefully inspire, encourage people to dig into the ancient book of scripture that we have. Um, I believe it's the primary way God speaks to us, and I believe it's the most life-changing thing we can do is to engage with God's voice through scripture. So my goal is not usually, here's the big thing I want people to go do. There might be the odd time, a takeaway or whatever. Here's the big next step. Here's my, my goal every time is this, is to say, this book exists. It's changed my life. I believe it can change your life if you engage with it. And I hope that my time uh, when I am on stage doing that, um, give us people a little bit of a sense of how they might do that, or maybe a little bit of interest or fascination with the book to say, you know what, I'd like to lean into that, because I believe that God has many better things to say than I could ever come up with. And so um, when I get up here, I will typically just be taking a passage of scripture, working through that together. So as a community, we can lean in and try to say, hey, God, what is it that you're saying to me? What is it that you're saying to us as a community? And hopefully that will spill over into all of our lives throughout the week as we continue to pursue and engage with the voice of God. Over these two Sundays, I'm, I am on like a halftime contract, just so you guys know, so um, I'm not going to be here every single Sunday, but over these two Sundays, uh, this one and next week, what I want to do is dig into this passage in Luke 19, uh, the first 10 verses of Luke 19, if you've got a device or a Bible. It'll be up on the screen later. We're not going to get to the text quite yet, but if you've got a device or a Bible or whatever, feel free to follow along. But there's this story at the start of Luke 19, and I feel like we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks unpacking it, but over these two Sundays, what I want to do is dig into this really unique interaction that Jesus has with kind of an unlikely other character and look at how he engages with this other character. A lot of, I think, what we can learn from Jesus is how he interacts with and engages with other people. I think in our culture, what we often do is we know that the God of the Bible says that we should love others But rather than turning to him for the model or the definition, we often turn to a lot of our cultural trends and our own ideas and what's kind of comfortable in our world right now to define that rather than going back to the person who gave the instruction. Jesus says, love others, love one another. And rather than going to him and saying, how, or let us follow in your example, we often just follow in the example of those around us. And I want to lean into, um, you know, a unique characteristic of how Jesus interacts with this character uh, this week and next week. And this week, as you can already see on the machine there, right, it says an empathetic community. Looking at how Jesus engages with great empathy and how we can be a community that I think hopefully can turn up that dial a little bit, turn turn up the level of empathy that we express in our lives. Empathy is a really, really tricky thing because it requires like understanding, it requires knowing, and it requires kind of engaging with the world of those around you. And really, it it, it demands that we understand the context of those that we're connecting with, those that we're engaging with. Context is king. In a lot of things. I mean, as a preacher, I would say context is king when interpreting scripture. Context is king when you look at a lot of things. But when we engage with each other, understanding and actually knowing someone's context is such a huge deal. I'm going to give you a little example. 
a while back, my daughter, we were over at one of her friend's houses, and her friend was so excited to say, Ryan, 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 I can ride my bike, which is not entirely true. It's still had training wheels on it, so that's like, I'm like, well, big deal. You know, anybody can do that. But this little girl, and I didn't say it out loud. I just thought it in my mind. I've been able to ride my bike for years without training wheels. But uh, so this little girl, she hops on. She's got this like awesome princessy. It's had like frozen characters on it, pink bike with all the things. And she hops on her bike and she just so proudly starts pedaling. And I watch her at like the breakneck speeds of like, you know, seven inches per year kind of thing, just kind of like slowly pedaling and moving. She's like so proud to show me. And I look at her and I say these words. I say, wow, you're such a big girl, which for her was very affirming. She wanted to show off, I'm big, I'm strong, I've developed, I've done a lot of things. Now take that phrase and put it into a different context. Imagine this. It's, you know, Friday night, my wife and I were tired out from the week of our kids and all that, and we decided to have a date night. And this one, we decided to just kick it at home, you know, kind of stay at home, have a chill night. We don't want to do any work, so we order pizza. And to like fill in kind of a little bit of flavor for the story, Papa John's barbecue chicken pizza, because that's like my jam. Um, if you, you know, if you got something different to argue with me about that, but I love barbecue chicken from Papa John's. So we order this barbecue chicken pizza. It comes, we're sitting there, we're hanging out, we're eating pizza. And you know, when you get a pizza, you like eat way more than your share. We both eat way more than our share. But then all of a sudden, because she's reminded of the glorious goodness of the flavor of the barbecue sauce mixed with the perfectly melted cheese and the chicken on the, on the pizza, she's reminded of that. She reaches for that. She's already had too much. She reaches for one last piece. And I turn and look to her and say, wow, you're such a big girl. <laughs> it's the, that didn't actually happen, I promise. It's the same phrase but in an entirely different context. In one, it's a very affirming statement. In the other one, it's an invitation for me to now, that couch that we're sitting on eating pizza, it's an invitation for that to now be where I sleep that night. <laughs> it's an invitation to a big fight, and it's quite insulting. Understanding context, we all have our own context, and we all bring a really different story to the table. And although we can't know everybody's, I think a lot of times in our fast-paced, complex world with so much information, it's easy for us to just skim past the idea, the art, the notion of trying to understand and recognize that people actually have a story. People actually have their own context. Empathy, there's this guy named Reggie Joyner. He uh, runs this organization called Orange, who writes curriculum for a lot of churches. He's a really amazing, inspiring guy. But he defines empathy this way. He says, empathy, I, I actually need the screen for this one, Harry, because I don't have it memorized. Uh, nope, is that not on the slides? The quote didn't get on there? There it is. Empathy is pausing your own interests and opinions long enough to discover someone else's interests and opinions. Empathy is pressing pause on your own interests and opinions long enough so giving it enough time so that you might discover someone else's interests and opinions. This is a really difficult thing to do because all of us, all of us think that everyone should view things the way we view things. Everyone should have the opinions we have. Everyone should feel the way we should. People should act and respond and do the things we think they should do. And we will always believe that unless we press pause on our own opinions and interests, on our own views, on our own ideas long enough to discover that someone might have a little bit of a different context. Someone might have a bit of a different place they're coming from. 
What I want to do this morning is I want to look at a couple examples of empathy and lack of empathy. We're going to look at uh, Jesus as this great example of empathy and how he interacts with this character in this story. But what I want to start with is a couple examples of a lack of empathy and what happens when you have a lack of empathy. And for that, I've pulled in a, a couple popular products. Um, you guys are probably familiar with this company, Lay's. Yeah, uh, Lay's, they make potato chips. Lay's, they... I'll start with the positive, then I'll get to the negative. Lay's understands my interests and opinions because I want thinly sliced, preserved, baked pieces of potato with artificial flavoring that has no shelf life, right? That has like unlimited shelf life. I mean, no, no expiration to sit there and to be this beautiful snack that I can eat. Now, my favorite, I'm more of an all-dressed person, but trying to eat a bit better, so i am got my wife's favorite flavor. She can throw this in with that extra piece of pizza, but they've understood my interests and opinions that I want some delicious snacks. I want something salty sometimes. I want that food. They've understood that. Here's what they haven't understood. And I'm sure we've all experienced this. You go to the store, you buy a bag of Lay's and you're just like, this is awesome. I can't wait. And you go home or else if you're like me, you maybe make it to the vehicle and you open it up and you realize not only is Lay's one of the like biggest manufacturers of potato chips in the world. They're also actually one of the biggest sellers of air in the world, right? You look in the bag and you're like, where'd all the chips go? Is there a mouse that came and ate all this? Like that bag is like, you know, two thirds empty. And even their slogan is such a slap in the face, right? Bet you can't eat just one. You look and you're like, well, that's like about how many there are in there, right? It's like, no one can only eat just one. No one ever, have you ever met someone who's like, man, I'm starving. Do you have a chip? You know, it's like, that's not what you want. But They have understood that I want chips, but they've not understood that I would like the whole bag to be full of chips. That's a real lack of empathy. Here, the fruit cup, the exact opposite problem. Am I right? Who do they think, does Dole think that when I buy this, I'm going to take it home, take off all my clothes, get into the bathtub before I open this, wear a rain jacket or whatever. It's like, why don't these two just team up, right? It's just like, give them a little bit of space so that I can open this in safety, not being soaked in, in, in the juice and the flavor. Now, companies like this will say, you know, we, we, pull, we pull our consumers and all that to figure out what they like, what makes them tick, what, what they want and all that. But that's really only based on what they can get out of it. Sure, Lay's and Dole, they'll care about what I think, what I want, what I feel, they'll care about that, but only in the sense that they'll lean into that if it can increase their profits. Many of us exist like that. We're happy to engage with people's stories. We're happy to listen. We're happy to know people in the ways that it benefits us both. That both most, sorry. That's what dating is all about, right? We are really caring and attentive when we're dating someone. Why? Because we're trying like because there's a lot in it for us. There's a lot that we can gain out of that. There's a lot that we can benefit from that. In many of our relationships, we can be like that. James, in the book of James, uh, he writes and he says, uh, you know, loving those, why do you just greet those that you know like showing favoritism to those that you can get benefit from. Jesus says that as well. He's like, why do you just love those who love you? Anybody does that. Empathy is pausing your own interests and opinions, not saying, what can I gain? What do I think? What, what makes me tick? But pausing that to figure out where others are coming from. And fortunately with Jesus, we see a great example of this. So I want to just look at the text this morning, work through it, share some thoughts and ideas, lean in as a community. And uh, at the end, maybe I'll share a little bit of my story as well. So Luke 19, verse 1, it says this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He's passing through. I want you to just like 
hold that thought into your mind. It starts, it doesn't say Jesus was coming to Jericho. It wasn't his destination. He didn't have an Airbnb book there. Jesus was passing through Jericho. Keep that thought in your mind. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Many of us have heard of Zacchaeus. If you've been part of the church for a while, you've heard about this dude. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Many of you, if you've been part of the church for a while, you know what a tax collector is. But for those of you who don't know, or maybe you have a bit of an idea, I'll lean inside a little bit. So Jesus is in Israel. And uh, the nation of Israel had been kind of, they'd been imperialized for a long time, like owned um, uh, by some other nations. Some con- countries had come in and occupied them and taken over, and they were oppressing them. And in fact, they had kind of been passed around to like from nation to nation. They're kind of like, I don't know if people are just like, ah, we're sick of them. We don't know. Really, these countries would get taken over. These nations would get taken over. And Israel's kind of just being owned by different nations. When we open up the New Testament, they're owned, they're imperialized, occupied by the Roman Empire, which is a cruel, vicious, vindictive empire that doesn't care about them very much. But it does utilize some of their customs and some of them in order for the Roman Empire to flourish as best as it can. And part of that is that the Romans, they're collecting tax from the Jewish people. They didn't just go out and get taxes on their own, but they, but they actually would get some of the Jewish people to become the tax collectors. So what you had was you had people from Israel who were like being imperialized, who were being brutalized by Rome, who would actually like help and participate in that for some benefit from themselves to continue to like, uh, to continue to like allow the persecution and the suffering to exist. This is kind of like, you guys remember the old Robin Hood, uh, the animated Robin Hood movie, and there's like the the share, um, the tax collector guy anyways, and the, the sheriff's brutal. Oh yeah, the sheriff of Nineham, and he's brutal. He's going around, and he's like, and he's taking all the money from everybody. He throws the coin. Do you guys remember this? He throws the coin in the cup, and the cup comes. Anyways, it, you can go home and watch the animated Robin Hood if that still exists. Maybe it's 2023, and it's been canceled for some reason. I don't know, but but you can go watch if you want. But this is what's going on. It's like this oppressive, brutal time. And some of the people decided we're going to participate and we're going to be part of it. And more than that, most of them were using that as an opportunity for exploitation. They're saying, well, if Rome's going to exploit you, I'm going to lean in as well. I'm going to take extra and you're going to be further exploited so that I can be rich. Now, we read about tax collectors all throughout the New Testament. But the term chief tax collector shows up once. It's in this story. Zacchaeus is the only person referred to as a chief tax collector. This guy is like, you know, level 9,000 tax collector. This guy is like upgraded, evolved. So if the Bible is to use words like jerk or meanie, this, this is like a super jerk or ultra meanie pants or whatever. This guy is a bad dude. And the story is really saying, this guy, this guy, people don't like him. He's a bad guy in this story. And I love this. This is a really obvious statement, but at the end, and he was wealthy. He was wealthy. I think what Luke's doing there is he's really highlighting the fact of how evident it would be that people would hate this guy named Zacchaeus. Because it's not just like he took some money like, oh, that's terrible. But when he would take their money, he'd show up in like a really nice sports car, paid for by their money, paid for because he's ripped off them, their family and all that. They'd see him splashing around in his Olympic size like, you know, gold-covered swimming pool in the back of his yard. They see him in his mansion, all that. And they're like, not only is he richer than us while we're being oppressed, but he's rich because he's exploited and he's taken from us. He has become like the Roman Empire who's imperialized us. So anyways, TLDR, people don't like Zacchaeus, okay? He's a chief tax collector and he's wealthy because he's exploiting people. He, Zacchaeus, 
wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So, I mean, growing up in the church, we had this song. You guys remember like, wee little man named Zacchaeus and stuff like that. It's like all we know about him is he's like this really short guy. He's short, there's this crowd. It's really fascinating. Jesus, I mean, he ultimately gets crucified by um, the institution of the day. But Jesus was quite popular. Sometimes in not a positive way, but he was very popular. There were crowds. People were coming to listen. People were coming and swarming to him. There was often this crowd that followed Jesus. So Zacchaeus shows up. He's like, there's this crowd and I'm too short. I can't see over it. So it's kind of like getting tickets for the nosebleeds. He goes up in this tree so that he can see Jesus. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. This guy is so desperate for something. This guy is looking for something. And he's like, he comes into this obstacle. He's like, I'm not gonna be able to see Jesus. So he runs ahead and he finds this tree. He can climb up. He looks for Jesus. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. One of the things I love about Jesus is he, he lacks a lot of like this kind of social, the kind of like conventional social norms, right? Like we all know you don't invite yourself over for dinner. You don't like ask your friend to sleep over right in front of your mom. You know, it's like you have to like, you know, there's a way you do this. It's like, oh, I'm hungry. You got to like hint at it and hopefully they invite you. He just shows up. He's like, hey, Zacchaeus, go start cooking. You know, get some food. Heard you got a nice house. You probably got a good chef, you know, like go start cooking the food. And it's actually pretty awkward if you think about it. The food that they would be eating there would be paid for by who? The crowd around Jesus. But he says, I'm coming. And not only am I coming, but you know, like you ever see those like, you know, like on old movies and stuff, there'd be the hitchhiker on the side of the road and then they, someone pulls over and then they like call the family who's hiding. Like, hey, we got a whole... Jesus like, me and my 12 friends, maybe some other people were coming over for dinner at your house. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Some translations say he was full of joy. Zacchaeus is like, oh my goodness, this Jesus who I thought I wouldn't even be able to see is now coming for dinner at my house. This is a big moment for Zacchaeus. And so obviously the crowd around is like, this is awesome. Like Jesus is, cares about someone. He cares about this little short dude and he's going to go have dinner with him. The crowd is just like, yeah, Jesus, you're awesome, right? Verse seven, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He was going to be the guest of a sinner. This is cancel culture 2000 years ago. You know, we all see it happen here. People are like following celebrities, people following people on social media and stuff like that. They're subscribed to their YouTube channel. They own um, like Harry Potter books, right? And then the author says the wrong thing. They like burn the books. No, I never owned that. I didn't, I didn't follow her on Instagram. You know, like and we cancel people. This is exactly what's happening. This huge crowd is following Jesus. So what's going on? He's healing people. He's doing, he's like saying these interesting teachings and all that. They're following him. And then he, they, he picks Zacchaeus' house to go to eat at. He picks that sinner. Why didn't he pick my house? Doesn't Jesus know how much I've done? Doesn't he know how much I've given? Doesn't he know my context? Doesn't he know my story? Doesn't he know all the things I, doesn't he know all the things I'm struggling with? And he picks Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and people start to cancel Jesus. They're burning their Jesus t-shirts. They're ripping their Jesus bumper stickers off their soccer mom vans. They're, they're just like, we don't, we didn't follow him. What are you talking about? Jesus, Jesus who, you know, it's like, we don't know what you're talking about. Jesus get canceled by the crowd. He, they start to complain. They start to mutter. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, and I love this. Zacchaeus does not say much in the Bible. This is it. This is the only thing he says in the entire Bible. Look, Lord, 
which means master, king. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Half of my, 50% of what I own, I give it away to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Well, what we know about Zacchaeus is he's cheated a lot of people out of a lot of things. I actually don't even know if the math adds up here. Zacchaeus might have been like, just like, I gave away half and then four times and stuff like that. And Jesus is probably like, uh, you know, Zacchaeus, like, maybe get a calculator out. Uh, you, that's a, you might not have that much. What a crazy story. This exploiter who has spent his life and his career accumulating wealth, trying to find happiness and satisfaction and identity in what he can have and trying to pad his pockets in a moment where people are poor and desperate. He's been desperately looking for something and in a moment he says, I'll just give it all away. All that we see in this text, now there's probably other stuff that's happening, all we see in this text is Jesus just says, I'm going to come eat food with you. I'm going to come have a meal at your house. I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to press pause. And Zacchaeus has this radical transformation. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. There's some pretty bibly language in there, and I'm not going to unpack all of it right now. But this idea of salvation is really deliverance. He's saying you have been delivered and considered part of the family of God because I came to seek you, Zacchaeus, who was lost. He's surrounded by a crowd, people who maybe have all kinds of different ideas. And in the middle of that crowd, he sees this lost man named Zacchaeus. And he says, I've come. I've come for Zacchaeus, and I care about Zacchaeus. Now, the stories in the Bible are often short. A lot of times people are like, oh, the Bible's so long. And a lot of times I'm like, it's too short. Like, I want to know like what else they talked about. I want to know what happened after that. I want to know how people reacted for him to him giving his stuff away. I want to know what happened. So there is some conjecture and some ideas, but I'll, I'll share a little bit of what I wonder about. I wonder about like if I was in this situation with Jesus and I saw him decide, you know, I mean, imagine how you'd feel. There's this huge crowd and Jesus says, I'd love to come to your house. And many of us would feel like, well, of course, like I serve at Pilgrim. I do these things. I've done these awesome things. I read the Bible. I do a lot of us. If Jesus showed up, we'd be like, yeah, like there, there are reasons he'd come to my house. Like I, I lead a home church. I do these things, you know, how would I feel if he goes up and he picks this guy named Zacchaeus, who's actually been like abusive to my family, who's actually been hurtful to my family. I'd be so choked. I'd be so chapped. Be so angry. Along with the crowd, I would think of all the reasons why that doesn't make sense, and I would look down on Zacchaeus. And many of us have many reasons why we can be frustrated with people, be angry with people, or show a complete lack of empathy or understanding of people for what's going on. Now, empathy doesn't mean dismissing sin. Like, yeah, Zacchaeus was doing some really not cool stuff. There's no issue there. That's not debatable. But Jesus looks at him with his heart full of deep empathy. And Jesus of all people, I mean, by contrast, like Zacchaeus is living his life exploiting, selfishly taking, trying to make himself rich by hurting and oppressing people and exploiting people and taking and selfishly out of greed, accumulating wealth. Jesus comes full of selflessness and he gives and gives and gives and gives until eventually he gives his life away because he's so selfless. 
Zacchaeus, he's hated by everyone. He's the least popular dude in town. Jesus has a huge crowd following him. He's got this huge following. He's, he's becoming popular. People are leaning into his teachings and are listening to him and are following him around rather than trying to avoid him. And Zacchaeus, a life full of abject sin, and Jesus completely sinless. By contrast, if anybody could look down on Zacchaeus, it would be Jesus. Jesus would have the greatest vantage point to be like Zacchaeus. You're a dirtbag. You're a write-off. You're a no-good. Why are you doing this stuff? But instead, he looks at him with empathy and what a transformative experience that is for Zacchaeus because Jesus paused his interest for long enough to understand and to give some time and space for where Zacchaeus is coming from. Now, again, kind of on a conjecture level, I don't know Zacchaeus' backstory. I don't know what he grew up like. But here's what I can assume about Zacchaeus. I'm assuming that he's a, probably a pretty unhappy dude. People might look at him and be like, oh, he's got it all. He's going to like on all these amazing vacations. He's got off all this like, he's got off a cruise. He's driving that nice car. His kids are going to like the best private school. They don't have debt. You know, they can actually afford a house in downtown Vancouver. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like all these things that we think would matter. What I'm assuming is that Zacchaeus is probably a deeply dissatisfied man. He was hated by the community. All of us care more about our relationships and love than we do about possessions. And it's often been said that hurt people hurt people. And that's true, is that when people are operating out of brokenness, it's not because they're finding satisfaction operating out of brokenness. It's because their brokenness bleeds out of them and they share that brokenness with others. I'm assuming Zacchaeus was a very broken man who felt something really missing in his life, which I would imagine is one of the reasons he ran ahead to that tree. He's looking for something more. He's like, what is my life missing. In Zacchaeus' time, many people would be born as slaves. Perhaps he was born as a slave. Perhaps he was born into a good house. I don't know. Perhaps he was abused. Perhaps he was bullied by people. I mean, that's pretty believable. 2,000 years later, we're still beaking the dude about his height, teaching songs to kids in church, right? It's like, maybe he was bullied. I don't know what his story is. Probably most of the people around him had not paused their interests and opinions long enough to know his backstory, to know his context, to know what's going on. And here's Jesus who just presses pause. Remember the start of the narrative? What's it say? Jesus was passing through Jericho. Now, there's a sense that I have that it's like, well, I think Jesus knew exactly what he was up to. But Jesus, he's passing through. He's on his way somewhere else. If you read the narrative, he's on a journey somewhere else. And he presses pause on that. He pauses his interests and opinions long enough to make some time for Zacchaeus. That's really hard to do, especially when it comes to people that we really disagree with, right? Our world is teaching us. Our world is teaching us to look down on others. Our world is teaching us to be divisive. When COVID hit and the world became what seemed to be more and more divisive, I really thought this is the moment for the church. This is the moment that the church can seize to be something different, to be that empathetic voice that's like, no, we don't divide. We don't just hate people because they've got different opinions and beliefs about things. And I was very sad when I was like, well, it seems like on a large, for the most part, we, we missed that moment. We didn't really seize it. We kind of hopped in on the divisiveness. We found it easy to agree with the tweets and, and, and the talking points about how much Zacchaeus is a dirtbag rather than saying, well, you know what? Maybe it'd be interesting if we got to know him and understood where he's coming from. Not in a way that dismisses the sin, but in a way that expresses that we care about the person. Someone who needs empathy. Someone who needs 
some healing in their life. I'll share a little bit about my story. I'll often try to do that because in my time with you guys, whether it's six months or longer or whatever it is, I'm excited to be here. I'm all in. I want to share my life with you guys and I'm excited to hear some of your stories. Uh, years ago, in 2017, we uh, gave birth to our first daughter. Her name is Avra. Some of you have met her. Um, and uh, she was born December 20th, which is amazing because it is going to, like for the rest of our lives, save us a ton of money on presents. Um, people who with birthdays close to Christmas right now are like kind of twitching. They're like, uh, you know, PTSD from all those missed presents. But um, Works out really well for us. I actually thought with our younger daughter born in November, we should just lie to her and tell her her birthday is also December 20th so that we can really cash in. But anyways, born December 20th. That's irrelevant. I don't even know why I brought that up. A few years later, um, spring of 2019, my wife and I found out we were pregnant again. We were really excited. We were trying to get pregnant. We were, well, she was pregnant. We weren't both simultaneously pregnant, but <laughs> that's how twins work, I think. But um, but uh, she's pregnant. We're excited. So we're going to the ultrasounds. We're going to the appointments, all those things. Uh, all of a sudden, we get to this one ultrasound. And you know, all of a sudden, kind of like the tone shifts. And it's like they're running more tests and all that. And, and what we discovered is that we had, we had lost the baby. And we had miscarried the baby. And I don't know why I keep saying we. But anyways, the baby was no longer there. It was, it was very sad for us. What we found out is that 18% of um, pregnancies end in miscarriage. That's a lot of pregnancies that end in miscarriage. That means a lot of people have had miscarriages. And it made me think, it's like, man, like, I, you know, people maybe don't always share that information publicly, but I'm like, that's a lot of people who have experienced like that pain, that grief, that loss. And that's just in like one really specific thing. You know, if I were to actually be aware of the stats and the percentages of how many people experience hurt and pain and loss in so many different areas, what we would probably start to realize is that there is like so much shared pain and suffering and loss in this world. What happened shortly after that, we found that out. We're kind of processing that. We're pretty bummed out. Um, we were like, we had told our two-year-old at the time, Avra, that we were like, there's a baby in mommy's tummy. So it was like this awkward, like, oh, what do we do now? You know, this baby's never going to come or whatever. But we were processing that. And um, the first church I worked at, um, lots of really cool stuff happened. There were some challenges, which often happen in a lot of churches. But I remember uh, there was this one board member who... Um, you know, had, um, you know, kind of had a reputation for being kind of brash and gruff and kind of having some not so great interactions with people. And um, I got to be uh, the recipient of one of those interactions where it kind of was like, uh, kind of got beat up in a conversation or whatever. Now, that was shortly after discovering that. And I'm not here to like beat this guy or whatever, you know, I don't know what he was going through, but um, he kind of unloaded on me and unleashed on me. And I stepped back and thought, I was like, man, he really doesn't know like what I'm currently going through and what he's kind of like heaping onto and piling onto that. And I don't share the story to say, oh, you know, I can't believe he did that and poor me, but it made me think, how often do I not consider that other people might have just gotten some of the worst news they've gotten in the past year or three years when I'm interacting with people? Now, none of us have a crystal ball where we could like know every single thing every person's gone through. And I'm not saying when you're talking to someone and having a hard conversation, you'd be like, hey, have you had a miscarriage in the past few months? Have you like gone through this? Like, any loss or, you know? But it really made me think about the lack of awareness that I go into conversations with. I mean, it was a, an unfortunate interaction I had with this guy anyways, but especially with what I was going through, it was really tough. It really made me lean into this idea of empathy. It's like, how often am I pausing my own interests and opinions to kind of know where people are coming from, to even just ask, 
hey, is there anything going on in your world? Is there anything you're processing? What's going on with you spiritually? What's, what's happening? Jesus is the king of this, right? I mean, like, he's got a whole crowd. He's got so many important things he could be doing. There's so many people he could be healing. There, he could be doing, like, the feeding of the 5,000 every single day. He's got this huge crowd, and instead of that, he just pauses and says, I want to take some time with this little dude named Zacchaeus and hang out with him in his home because this guy is important. This guy is valuable. I think it's quite easy for people to be, feel fairly invisible in our world because our interactions are quick and brief. We've got so many important things that we need to do. We've got all these urgent matters. We're so busy. It's so hard for us to press pause. It is very hard for us to press pause. But when we do, I think something magical happens. I don't think every time you pause to get to know someone, they're going to be like, all right, I'm going to, give like halfway plus four times. So, you know, it's like, maybe that's not going to happen all the time. But my guess is that Zacchaeus had not experienced that kind of treatment for a long time. And it could be that Jesus is giving you that superpower or that ability in moments to offer someone the type of empathy that they perhaps have not experienced in a long time. That pause, that moment to say, I'm going to put what I'm thinking about and what I'm leaning to on hold long enough to make you the priority and to give your interests, your opinions, your life, and your context some room to be valuable and important. 